Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 7, Wake Me Up Before You Pokemon Go-Go. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. I'm Chris McBrien, along with Ian Seaton. This week we're going to be talking about video games. So this should be interesting, that's for sure. Because let me tell you, when I was growing up, video games had basically just come out. And uh, some of the technology was, um, how can I put this nicely, uh, substandard. <laughs> so my list is going to be probably ridiculed like crazy, but that's all good. Um, we've gotten some awesome feedback on the show so far. And, you know, the thing is, when you talk about lists of your favorite things, movies, TV shows, whatever, uh, you're bound to get lots of people with their own opinions of, you know, kind of what stuff we've left out or what we should be talking about. So I tell you what, if you'd like to contact us about anything that you hear, you hear here on the show, you can reach us on Twitter at Yancey Eaton or at C. McBrien. Remember, McBrien is spelled I E. Or shoot us an email, Chris at popgoesyourworld.com or Yancey at popgoesyourworld.com. And speaking of Yancey, how are you this week, my friend? Yes, I am Yancey. I'm I'm doing well. I'm a little tired from uh, stuff going on outside of the podcast world, just work and life stuff. Uh, everything's good. Just, you know, sometimes you get a little run down, but it's nice to uh, to get on Skype with uh, one of your buddies in another country and just talk about stupid stuff like video games. So I'm, I'm excited. This is going to be a fun show. And, and for once, I think this is going to be one of the few topics where I think uh, m- what my generation brings to the table is actually better than yours. <laughs> oh, well, you bring game, man. You bring good stuff to the table. Last week, some of the feedback we got, I mentioned feedback at the top of the show, some of the feedback we got was everybody loved your list of our last show when we were talking about cult movies. They mm-hmm. were like, Yancey's list dominated Chris's list. So uh, you bring all the goods every single week. There's no two ways about it. But yeah, I think when it comes to video games, my generation lags somewhat behind yours, and no two ways about it. Uh, but yep. I got to mention, you know, before we get started, I've noticed that there's this phenomenon that I've noticed lately um, where people watch other people play video games on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And call me crazy, but it seems like it's a little bit ridiculous. Like, I just, I don't get it. It all started out because my seven-year-old liked to play, he really enjoys playing Minecraft. And then he found all these things on YouTube where you go and you just watch people play Minecraft. It'd be one thing, like, you know, if you were getting, like, I don't know, like some some cheat codes or something like that. But, I mean, to sit there for hours and watch someone else play a game doesn't even make sense. I mean, play the freaking game yourself. I mean... Like I mean, I, I like I say, I get it if you're watching it to get tips and stuff. But if you're just sitting there and watch another person play it, I think it's just weird. I, you know what, I, I understand what you're saying. How it would sound weird, and I used to think the same thing too. But just as like a just a little background as far as like my video gaming consumption these days i do not own a single video game system or console i don't have a single game on my phone minus pokemon go and even that i've i've played a fraction of what i played even two or three weeks ago so i'm not somebody who plays a lot of video games at all but i actually watch streamers on twitch you know actual streaming games all the time simply because like you know, whenever something comes out, a game like uh, like No Man's Sky or Destiny or, you know, it's still something that people talk about. I want to know what it's about and I don't want to have to spend $60 on a game and $250 on a console. And it is actually really entertaining because you're not so much watching it just because of the game, but the, the, the person behind it. There are talented, you know, Twitch streamers just like there are talented painters or artists or anything like that. So it's... 
it is something weird, but it's one of those things where I think if you found somebody that you really liked and it was a game that you enjoyed, I think you'd be surprised by how much time you could kill doing it. It's like um, it's like that that theory where if there's like a kid's cartoon on, you're like, oh, this is so stupid, I can't believe this. But then like an hour later, you're still watching it. It's one of those things where I think once if you get into it, Chris, you you might actually find something you like about it. Well, I know that our buddy Sporer, Paul Sporer, uh, from the mm-hmm. Tomorrow Baseball Show, he does um, a live thing like that with MLB The Show. Am I yeah. am I right? Like, so yeah. You can go and watch him play and stuff like that. Yeah, and, that's and, another that's another thing, Chris, not to cut you off, but yeah. I, I watch him play it all the time, and I have never played the game myself, ever. But I like Paul. I just – I like Paul's personality. I like the way he, he just – you know, he, he – puts himself out there and stuff so it's it's just it's entertaining because like i like the person doesn't matter what game he's playing he could be playing you know my little pony two or something interesting yeah i I guess i can see where you're coming from but the thing is like so one other difference between millennials and gen xers when it comes to playing video games is now you've got so much um content out there and there's so many great places you can go for tips and kind of things like that like back in my day you know you had to wait like (laughs) you had to wait a month for a subscription to a video magazine you know in order to get like cheat codes or tips or anything like that Mm -hmm. or better yet you had to actually play the friggin game you yeah, know, to discover how to beat yourself. Yeah. I'm, I, like, I'm like the old man that yells at kids in his neighborhood, like, get off my lawn, you meddling kids. I'm like that guy. But uh, I don't know. I just it, There's a lot of differences between millennials and Gen Xers when it comes to video games. Um, one of them, I would say off the top, um, is that there, I think there's, correct me if I'm wrong, I think there's less stigma around playing video games nowadays. Like when I was younger, if you played a lot of video games, you were considered a nerd. At least, I think you were considered more of a nerd than you are if you're a big gamer today. Is there some truth to that, you think? Um, I think it depends on... Nowadays, just about everybody plays video games in some form. I mean, I, if I had to guess, do you have any video games on your phone? Do you have any apps that you play games on on your phone? No, no, I don't. None at all? Okay, so I, I would actually say that you're kind of the exception rather than the norm. I don't have any you know, games on my phone minus the Pokemon, like I said, but I think it's it's more or less these days of what types of games you play. Like, if you're the type of person who's playing RPGs and Warcraft and that type of thing, you might be, you know, quote-unquote, you know, I'm doing finger quotes to myself, you know, a nerd, but everybody plays games these days. Everybody. I mean, it's just... Except me, apparently, but I'm the guy that yells at kids to get off my front lawn. Yeah, so you're, expect, you're, right? you're, you're Clint Eastwood and you're Clint Eastwood and what's what's the movie? Uh, I can't remember the movie. Grand, uh, Grand Torino? Yes, Grand Trio. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the other thing I would mention is that the difference between our generations. When I was a kid, if you wanted to play a video game, like you had to go to the arcade. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think in other words, like playing a video game was was sort of a social activity. You know, like I mean, home video games and video game consoles they were sort of just coming out when I was a kid, and the ones that we did have were really really crappy. <laughs> so um, Yancey, I tell you what, if you went back in time and the only video games that you had to play were Asteroids or Pitfall or Pong, you'd probably throw yourself out of a window. Oh my. Knowing what I know now, yeah, I probably would. Yeah, I tell you. Anyway, you ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it, man. Okay, let's go. Back in 1985. I don't want to give people the wrong idea. <laughs> Saved by the bell. The college years. My wife knows about this. She's cool with this. You know, like the girl from Dirty Dancing and Ferris Bueller? I am in love with dank memes. MC Micro G and DJ Swen. Black people Twitter. We're going to ring ring a dong for a holy day. It's not something you just want to advertise. Because rapping is my thing and I do it every day. As you're singing this, I'm like cringing for you. <laughs> I pretend that I have my own show on the Food Network. All right, our top five video games. Yancey, uh, why don't you take us away with your number five? Okay, so my This is going to be good, by the way. I'm excited for this. Yeah, one. I'm excited, too. This is going to be a good I, show. 
we always have little caveats just to kind of explain like our, our methodology for you know for compiling our lists for sure for me it was a game not necessarily that was the best game but a game that was a really big part at any point in my life especially you know obviously like my early childhood or you know my preteens, like being a teenager through high school that type of thing so it was a game that i played a lot that my friends knew about it was super super relevant in my day-to-day uh so number five i was first introduced introduced to this game i think in first grade and it's oregon trail have you played it, Chris? No. You've never played Oregon Trail? No, I haven't. Okay. <laughs> All right, fill fill so, me in, please. Okay, so Oregon Trail was originally developed by Dan Rawich, Bill Heineman, and Paul Dillenberger in 1971. It's actually a really, really old game. Uh, it was designed to teach school children about the realities of 19th century pioneer life in the Oregon Trail. But to be honest with you, Chris, I only ever played it because you can hunt in it. So I would literally hunt in one area so much that like I would basically wipe out entire swaths of like animal populations. You're causing like, animals to become extinct. Yeah, literally. Like oh, okay. that's that's literally the only reason why I played it. Most of the kids <laughs> who played it in school, that's why they played it too. Um, I was just doing a little bit of research before the show. I didn't realize just how much it had saturated like the American psyche. It sold over 65 million physical copies wow. with 10 different versions being released over 40 years. Wow. 40 years. Um, what was really the key to its success is it actually came bundled with most school purchase PCs for like 20 years. So basically any personal computer you bought, you know, a school district bought, obviously they buy them in bulk. They all came with Oregon Shell pre-installed on it. Um, I, one of my most fond memories was, you know, like my siblings dying of dysentery or cholera or typhoid fever. It was like a really weird game where like it, it was one of those first games that basically tricked kids into learning. Like you didn't even realize that you were actually learning something while you were playing it, but it was just such a weird, like, you know, 2d game, but it was incredibly, incredibly addictive. And I played it all through elementary school. So Oregon trail, you need to play it before you die, Chris. It's important. Uh, I'll put put it on my bucket list for sure. Yeah, do it. All right, that's a good one. Okay, so my number five, I'm going a little bit generic here, but it's hockey, okay? And it doesn't matter if you played Nintendo's Ice Hockey or Blades of Steel or whatever hockey video game it was. What mattered the most was that, okay, you got to think back in time. If you were growing up in the 80s, not to give you a big history lesson or anything, but growing up in the 80s was growing up in the middle of the Cold War, and there was no bigger fear than the Soviet Union. And movies like The Day After, you know, they, they were in the sort of general consciousness. So... When you played video game hockey, it was like a chance to play against the Russian commies, you know? And as a kid, it was like it was like you could take on the Soviet Union and help win the Cold War all by yourself. And I know it sounds crazy, but if you grew up at that time, you'd know what I'm talking about. And it was right around the time of a miracle on ice. And mm-hmm. so ice hockey was more popular than ever, you know, especially in the States. In Canada, I mean, hockey is always the biggest thing ever. So no matter if you lived north or south of the border, playing hockey on a video game was a huge, huge thing. And for that reason, it makes my number five. What's your four? Interesting. So that was your own way of like, your your own way of defeating communism, basically. It was, it was by playing <laughs> video game hockey. It was, it was massive, it was huge. Okay. All right, so number four for me, I don't think you, you would have heard of this game. This didn't have nearly the, um, the uh, I, I don't know how to say, it, but nearly the name recognition, I guess, is the word I'm looking for, as some other popular fighting game titles during its time, like Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. Um, this game is called Soul Calibur, and it was released in 1998. Um, I played it for the Sega Dreamcast, which to this oh, day, yeah, I, the Sega Dreamcast, yeah, the Dreamcast, yeah. it, it flopped commercially, but I, I still believe that it was the greatest console ever released up to that point. It was a it was criminally underrated. It did not get the 
you know, just the publicity that it deserved. It did not get the promotion that it needed to succeed. And Sega pulled the, the plug on it entirely too early. But the Dreamcast was just just the best system ever, and I loved it. But uh, the name of the game was Soul Calibur. It was originally an arcade game, like you were talking about, that they ported to an actual console, and it was like one of the, the title games for the Sega Dreamcast when it first came out. Um, it was actually one of the first fighting games to implement what they called forgiving buffering, which basically meant like you didn't have to be exactly precise whenever you were pressing uh, combinations of buttons for like moves and stuff so it could kind of almost sense and like see that you were getting combinations of moves correctly and you didn't have to be so rigid where like you would see your opponent make a move and then you'd have to wait a second and then you'd have to do your combination and see the move it was like this this really clean superfluous movement between two players fighting so it was like really kind of groundbreaking in that sense um, it actually scored a 10 out of 10, which is obviously a perfect score from multiple outlets like GameSpot and IGN whenever it first came out. So it's one of the only perfect games ever released in the last 25 years. Um, you want to talk about like uh, <laughs> like early childhood crushes? You know, Taki and Sofisha and Ivy and Sungmina. These are all fighters in this game. And uh, those were my first crushes. Is these just these really, really badass and power, like awesome women, you know, who could just beat the holy crap out of guys and stuff in this. But um, one of those movies, or I'm sorry, one of those video games where it was super critically acclaimed. It never had immense, uh, you know, just uh, commercial success, rather, but. Um, everybody still alludes to that game as being one of the greatest fighting games of all time and how it pushed barriers as far as the genre goes. If you look on any, um, you know, 100 greatest games of all time or, you know, 100, you know, greatest fighting games of all time, it's right there at the very top. So Soul Calibur for me is my number four. If they were, if they were able to put it on my Mac right now and, and, and give me a USB Sega Dreamcast controller where I could play it, literally I would call off work for a week just to play it. This was one of the, the wow. most fantastic games ever, Chris. So Soul Calibur, number four. Very cool. And just as an aside, by the way, we are totally doing a crush show in the near future, for sure. I think comparing millennial, you know, celebrity crushes to like Gen X crushes should be very interesting. But that's that's up for another uh, another episode. Okay, I'm going to stick with sports. On, I'm going to go with, for my number four, electronic quarterback. Yancey, you got to Google this thing. It was the first sort of really popular handheld video game. And it was basically a football field, which was basically just some grid lines. And the players were just little red blips. And you tried to maneuver your quarterback, which was just a little blip. And you tried to maneuver him from like left to right across the field. And by today's standards, let's face it, it's awful. But when it came out in 1978, it was revolutionary. And they did have a couple other football games um, that were out like, like, like it, that were out at the time. But Electronic Quarterback was the only one that you had two blockers and it allowed you to pass. And most of the time, you just ran it up the field. But you could pass if you wanted to. And it, like I say, it was, certainly wasn't a great game, you know, by pretty much anyone's standards. But it was a game changer because it put games in the palm of your hand. And since it was based on sports, you were less likely to get beat up by the schoolyard bully if you were playing it. Um, mm-hmm. And But it was like as basic as basic can be. Uh, but in terms of being new and leading the way for a lot of progress in video games, it was pretty groundbreaking. And it was actually pretty fun to play. So electronic quarterback is the one. You got to Google it. Do you happen to still have one of those on you? Like- I, I don't have a physical electronic quarterback, no. Uh. Because that sounds like the type of thing you'd like. You'd go to your mom's house and like she had one in the basement, and yeah, you dust it off, and yeah. you know that would be cool. But. Yeah, it would be cool. Okay, what's your number three, bud? Uh, my number three is Pokemon Red and Blue. Okay. Uh, okay, so I have to give you a little bit of back info really quick about Pokemon please, Red. Please do. Blue. Yeah. 
okay so is it like johnny walker red is that what the deal uh not quite no Unfortunately. um <laughs> so here's the thing about this it, it made my list as the third best game of all time despite the fact that i have never personally played it but hear me out you're gonna say but yancey how is that possible so i'll give you a, but yancey, a real how quick is that possible how is that possible yeah. right uh so i was a kid and my brother and i we shared a room uh my entire life he and i shared a room my sister shared a room and i remember one day he came home and he had a game boy and i was like whoa you know where'd, where'd you get a game boy that's crazy you know mom didn't buy it for him it wasn't his birthday so i was like really confused not to you know make my brother look bad but come to find out he had an altercation with a kid upon which he seized control of his game boy he he uh he commandeered his game boy okay <laughs> so uh he had pokemon red in it and he and i had bunk beds right so he would sleep on the bottom i would sleep on the top and the deal that he and i came you know we came up with basically was he would be so kind as to let me watch him play the game <laughs> by by sticking it out over the the you know the the bed to where i can look down and watch him play it as long as i promise not to snitch on him to my mom for commandeering this game boy <laughs> so for about three years i would watch him play this game and even though like i said never actually personally played it myself the hours the countless hours that he and i stayed up together and you know four or five hours you know, after we were supposed to go to bed, staying up all night watching him play this game, evolving Pokemon, catching Pokemon, fighting people, all this stuff. I mean, literally, it was one of those things where, like, um, he and I have almost, like, bonded over this. Like, it was really weird. Like, we, we hardly talked at all, obviously, because Mom would hear us. But just watching him play that game, and it, it just spurred, like, this, like, insane love for Pokemon that I had. And th it's what got me into collecting the, the, the trading cards and stuff. And it was just something that he and I, like, always kind of had. And now we kind of laugh about it, obviously. He felt bad about it. I think he eventually gave the Game Boy back to this kid. But um, it was just, like, this, like, really neat story. So Pokemon Red and Blue is, is number three for me. Like I said, I, I do need to play it. I know that seems like a little bit of a cop-out, but it was a really, really pivotal game in, in like, Yancey's, Yancey's uh, arc of loving Pokemon. So yeah, that's... I think that's pretty cool. And the thing is, like, he should actually get his own channel on YouTube playing games so everyone can watch him do it. It'd just be, like, yeah, little times, you know? Uh, okay, so my number three, Donkey Kong. It originally came out in 1981, and you had to control Jumpman up, uh, like, all you know, this construction girders and ladders because a giant ape stole his girlfriend, Pauline. And then they, they finally gave Jumpman his own name. And, of course, it was Mario, which led to Super Mario and Super Mario Brothers and all the spinoffs. But it all started with Jumpman trying to dodge rolling barrels that were thrown at him by a big ape who stole his girlfriend. And then they came up with Donkey Kong Jr. And in that one, Donkey Kong, he was captured and baby, you played Baby Kong and you had to swing on vines and you had to eat all this fruit. And then Mario was like sending down these bear traps with eyes on him. It was, video games were really weird back then. Yancy, I don't know mm -hmm. what to say. <laughs> but um, the original Donkey Kong basically spawned a whole generation of video games. It was really influential and it was actually a lot of fun to play. So uh, number three for me is Donkey Kong. I've never played that particular Donkey Kong game, but I definitely played the hell out of some Donkey Kong Country for Super Nintendo. Absolutely. That game was yep. amazing. Um, so what are we on, number two? Number two, yeah. What's your number two? All right, so number two for me is is kind of like a the entire franchise, uh, but it's going to be Halo for me. So Halo is obviously a first-person shooter. Uh, it came out on Xbox, and I'm primarily talking about Halo 2 and Halo 3 because those were the two games that I mostly played whenever I was a kid. But um, Halo, like I said, Halo is a first-person shooter. It's based, like, in the future where there's two conflicting sides, like an alien race and, like, basically, like, the Marine Corps or, like, the future 
you know, version of the Marine Corps. That's the campaign mode. But to be completely honest with you, I never played the campaign mode. I only played online or I played, you know, uh, like LAN, you know, like connecting with other Xboxes and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was one of those games where, like, um, you know, with my group of friends, we never, you know, were big drinkers. We never were, you know, smoking doobies or anything like that. I don't know if you call them doobies or not. But, you know, that was never really our scene. What my group of friends always did, you know, talking about nerdy stuff is we had Halo parties where literally everybody would come over. We'd bring our Xboxes. We'd bring our controllers. We'd all, you know, chip in and order pizza. And we would literally have Halo tournaments all night long and just... You know, it's you, you basically have a gun and you throw grenades and you shoot each other and it was it was awesome. And all through from the time I was probably fourteen or fifteen years old till maybe twenty, that's literally the only game I played. That was it. Just Halo all the time. And it was like the the most important thing that you had in your home, aside from your Xbox, was like a high speed internet connection so that you could play Halo. Um, one quick story. I actually, my brother, my best friend, and myself, we all got suspended from school because we used to constantly bring our Xbox. We would literally bring them in our backpacks every single day so we could play Halo. And we were all in band, so we would, you know, we'd always be in the band room and we'd use the overhead projector to project this huge Halo screen to, you know, to play on, on to this huge wall. And uh, one day we had a substitute teacher who told us to put it away. So we went to the, the back equipment room and we basically locked her out. And uh, they had to call, like, the principal and stuff, and he showed up. And, you know, we, we ended up getting suspended for it because, he, you know, he literally barges through the doors and he sees us playing Halo. And, you know, my mom wasn't pleased. My dad wasn't pleased. But <clears throat> it's one of those games that's, like, still stuck with me. Occasionally, I'll, I'll hop on my uh, my brother-in-law's Xbox and play with my buddy up in, up in Montana and stuff. And it, there's so much nostalgia that's just attached to that because, you know, so much of my, my teen years were spent playing that game that, like, I think it's one of those things where I'll always be a sucker for the newest version of it, just as long as they continue making it. And I'll keep coming back to it over and over and over again. So Halo is number two for me. It was almost number one, but uh, I, I had to leave it at number two. Very cool. Oh, and just to answer your question, Yancey, Gen Xers did, in fact, refer to them as doobies. Oh, my, my, my. There you go. Yeah, just there you go. Yeah. Uh, okay, my number two, uh, you probably had to have a few doobies to play this game, too, was actually Space Invaders. So uh, it's basically just a laser cannon that moves left and right and shoots at these sort of five rows of oncoming aliens. And all of them are just like these blocky sort of monochromatic things. And the thing is, as you shoot them, the music speeds up and so do they. And then you've got these barricades to hide behind and they, they keep shooting pieces of them away. They're trying to get at you. And then there's this occasional like mystery ship that goes along the top and you get bonus points for shooting it. And Space Invaders was probably... It was one of the first, if not the first, video game that also came uh, like as a sit-down version at the arcade. Like you sat in a chair and was actually like a glass tabletop, and you had to reach underneath it and work the joystick and the buttons. And the funny enough, it was the first game that featured a difficulty curve, so it got harder as it went along. But the funny thing was, as a piece of trivia, it wasn't intentional. So. Again, as I mentioned off the top of the show, the uh, technology back when I was a kid, when it came to video games, was sort of substandard. So the processing unit was overloaded in this game. It couldn't handle all the aliens marching across the screen at the same time. So <laughs> as you shot them and as they disappeared, the game, quote unquote, sped up. And really? It, but it made it more difficult, of course, but it only sped up just because there wasn't the lag when the screen was full of images. So sort of unintentionally... The game ushered in a whole 
era of games that featured a difficulty curve. And it was only because because that's of the wild. inability of the technology of the day to keep up. And so that's really cool. And I, I think it's also important, you know, to note that the whole first person shooter video game genre, I think, owes its legacy to Space Invaders because, um, you know, like a lot of pop culture stuff from Gen X, it's groundbreaking. It was the mm-hmm. first. And in a lot of ways, I think it's still the best. On to your number one. Okay. Nice. I, I have played Space Invaders, but I did not play it on an original console. I actually played it as an emulator on my computer to where like, I could download it and I had to play it with a keyboard. I have played it, and it was fun. It's one of those things where, like like you said, if, if I had to play it all the time, I'd probably kill myself. But <laughs> <laughs> but I can respect I can respect it for, you know, for what it was at the time. There you but, go. All right, so my number one, um, it was a toss-up between two Super Mario tar- uh, titles. And I ended up going with Super Mario World simply because I, I played it the most. So Super Mario World uh, obviously came out in 1990 for the Super Nintendo, the SNES, the Super Nintendo system. Um, this was a, a game where, uh, just like I was talking about with Pokemon, I actually didn't play it as much as another person in my family. And this might surprise some people, but my mother is actually like the Super Mario World champion. Um, cool. So here's the thing about the Super Mario or the Super Nintendo system, rather. My mom had four kids, and she wanted to play, too. Obviously, this system didn't have five controllers. So there were many times where just to settle, like, a fight, my mom would play, and we would watch, right? (laughs) So there were so many nights where we would just sit there and watch my mom playing, and she'd be like, okay, you guys have to go to bed. So then, of course, we lived in a two-story house, so we'd go walk up the stairs, and we'd just kind of be, like, hanging over the edge. And she knew we were watching, <laughs> but I guess that was kind of her way of saying, like, oh, you know, I sent them to bed. Like, you know, if they don't go to sleep, that's on them kind of thing. But for hours, we would watch my mom just go through this, you know, and she ended up unlocking everything, all seven worlds. She saved Dinosaur Land. I mean, you know, Peach is, is good, you know, Toad's good. Everybody's good. It's one of the most like original, inventive, just incredibly interesting and, and creative games I've ever seen. And it, and like we talked about with cult films, it still has such an incredible like cult following. I mean, Super Mario World and, and any of the Mario titles, really, they just it doesn't matter how good or bad they are. They will always sell millions and millions of titles. The original Super Mario World sold over 25 million titles just because it's it's such an iconic franchise. And I think it's always going to be around. But um, if I had to add up all the hours that I've played um, Super Mario World, I mean, it would be in I mean, it would be almost at least a thousand hours I played. So uh, tons of nostalgic value for this. I I almost want to buy a Super Nintendo and just kind of like leave it at my mom's house just to kind of like get her back into it because uh, there's so many like good memories attached to that. And it's such a great game. So Super Mario World is, is my number one. Very cool. I'll tell you what, if there was one video game that changed everything, it's the number one on my list. And that's Pac-Man. It took everything by storm. It quickly became this huge staple in pop culture. It was so popular, Yancey. Dude, I'm telling you, there were, there was even they even had its own song. A song came out called Pac-Man Fever by Buckner and Garcia. It wasn't very good, by the way. It was like, I got a pocket full of quarters and I'm heading to the arcade. It was just terrible. And they, there, was, there was a spinoff. There was Ms. Pac-Man. And there was a kid's cartoon show. And the thing is, if you think about it, like up until then, video games were either shooter games like Space Invaders or Asteroids or sports mm-hmm. games. And Pac-Man came along and created a whole new genre of video games. Like, I mean, you're this little yellow puck that eats pellets and tries to avoid ghosts. And oh, by the, and that, that brings to mind a couple pieces of trivia I want to share with you. So the game was originally called Puckman, but Namco, they changed it because they were worried about people vandalizing the side of the game and blocking out the P to make an F. 
so they so they change it to pac-man and and the reason why the bad guys in pac-man are called ghosts is only because when they came out with the game on the atari on the atari 2600 the technology was so bad that the bad guys would flicker so to cover up the game flaws they called them ghosts Really? Yeah, absolutely. I'm telling you, <laughs> like I say, technology was subpar back in those days. But no matter what the deficiencies were of Pac-Man, the game became this huge symbol of 80s pop culture. It was on lunchboxes, you know, T-shirts. It was everywhere, right? And mm-hmm. it was at a time when video games were new. And they were, you know, considered all high tech. And the, the leader of the pack, pun intended, was Pac-Man. And that's why it makes my number one. Very nice. There's our list. Not too bad. Uh, you want to have a little bit of fun together? Yeah, let's do it, man. All right. Time for some fun with Yancey. All right. This week, I'm going to be quizzing you, Yancey. So we're going to see uh, how much you know about some of the old, old, old school video games. I'm going to give you lots of hints. So we're going to make it a lot of fun. Okay? Okay. So yeah. number one, this is widely considered to be the first real quote unquote video game. So the game basically consisted of two lines on either side of the screen. You had to bounce a little blip. It was supposed to be a ball. It was based on table tennis. Mm-hmm. It was such a huge success that it basically ushered in the entire video game era. Yancey, can you name this video game? I can name this. I've actually played it on an Atari, and it's called Pong. Very good. Yes. You, you use your paddle to like deflect the ball back to the other side. It just, yep. just went back and forth. It and it does bit. get faster, too, correct? It does, yep. It does. Yeah. It speeds up. It was like the simplest video game ever. But the thing was, it was like the first video game. And so for that reason, obviously, highly influential and, uh, and really important in the history of video game development. Okay, uh, number two. This video game debuted in 1983 and it was the first that actually featured hand-drawn animation to depict the gameplay the animation was created by former disney animator don bluth and it, you were able to control the hero and his name was dirk the daring and he went through several dungeons attempting to reach the final destination of the dragon's lair where he rescued the princess daphne can you name the video game uh what were the names again the names dirk, of the characters dirk the daring and he went through the dragon to find to try and all these through these dungeons to get to the dragon's lair, where he tried to rescue the princess Daphne. Oh, I feel like this is a, I feel like this is some sort of. As soon as you're gonna say it, I know. Is it like Dragon Quest or something? It took place in a dragon's lair, actually. But it's not called Dragon Quest. No, it's called Dragon's Lair. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of heads for you. Okay. It was the thing was too. A piece of trivia. It was the first video game. I remember this in the in. I used to love playing it in the arcade. It was the first video game that cost fifty cents to play. Everything up to that time was only a quarter. Really? Wow, you know? pricey. Okay, so here's one for you. The Connecticut Leather Company was founded in 1932, and they were like a leading manufacturer of of all things above ground swimming pools. But what they did was they switched their focus to producing toys and home-based video game consoles back in the early 80s. And they came out with a wildly popular uh, line of toys called the Cabbage Patch Kids. And then they they soon started producing home video game console. And it was known for its state-of-the-art graphics. We had one in our house, and we were like, you know, the hippest people on the block, right? Because we had this thing. So what company did the Connecticut Leather Company shorten their name to become? Connecticut Leather Connecticut Leather Company. They shortened their name. They took their name and they shortened it to this. They took the first two letters of each of the words in their company name and they became this video game innovator. Uh, I don't know, Chris. I feel like I should know this and I the, don't. The, the first two letters of Connecticut 
the first two letters of leather, the first two letters of company, spells Coleco. Coleco? Yes. Have you ever heard of ColecoVision? I've never heard of that, no. Oh, man. Like I said, I actually had one of those consoles. It was like the highest quality thing going. That's really what it was. That was their origin story? They they used to Connecticut Leather? The Connecticut Leather Company, yep. Yep. That is so odd. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, back in the days uh, of like 8-bit video games, uh, Nintendo came up with a handheld 8-bit video game and it was released in 1989. I realize it was a year after you were born, but mm-hmm. it was hugely successful and it pretty much revolutionized gaming as we know it today. Can you name this handheld video device that was released by Nintendo in 1989? Was it just the original Game Boy? It was. Yes. Congratulations. There you go. Okay. This highly addictive puzzle game was developed by a Russian programmer and featured falling pieces of tile puzzles, which you had to maneuver into place and have them fit into each other. And, you know, then you go on to additional levels. And it was basically responsible for the success of the Game Boy video system. Can you name the game? Yeah, it's Tetris. Oh, you're very, very good. Nice. (laughs) The, the, The pieces that came down, they were known as Tetraminos. And you could move them sideways and rotate them and everything. It was pretty cool. I did not know that. Okay, one last one for you. This is an easy one, too, okay? This game was inspired by a 1982 Disney film. It was manufactured and distributed by Bally Midway. There's like 12 difficulty levels in it, and there's different segments in it, included things like the input-output tower. There was the MCP cone, battle tanks, and, of course, the very popular light cycles. Can you name the video game? Chris, I have no idea. It's a Disney film from 1982. It starred Jeff Bridges. He was trapped inside a video game, and another film was made in the ah. series in 2010. Tron. Yay! Yes, See, you Tron. can do this. Not bad, I tell you. <laughs> All right, man. So not bad. Like I say, a lot of discrepancies in video games, obviously, from your generation and my generation. My generation kind of paved the way, obviously, of video games, and man, we sure went through all the kind of ups and downs and kind of navigated the the pitfalls of that. No two ways about it. But anyway, lots of differences, lots of fun. Video games are still as popular as they ever were, if not more so. But I tell you, back in the day, it was like, I used to go to the arcade. I used to hang out at the arcade. I get back home from school and we'd go to the arcade and on weekends go to the arcade and play. They had pool tables there, but it was all about the video games. It was a lot of fun. But anyway, listen, time to wrap things up. we got to get going. Um, like as I mentioned at the top of the show, if you want to reach out to us, you're going to find us on Twitter at Yancey Eaton or at C. McBrien at email Chris at PopGoesYourWorld.com or Yancey at PopGoesYourWorld.com. Until next week, this is Chris McBrien for Yancey Eaton saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 